Right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you'll have to forgive me, I'm afraid you won't have any option, um, in that I'm going to have to skip quite a lot of the Romantic era. <laughs> but because there's a really good reason. There is remarkably little 19th century repertoire for string quartet, considerate compared with the, uh, with the classical period. Um, once we've got rid of Schubert and Mendelssohn, that is. You know, composers like Brahms, small number of works. Uh, and even with Brahms, less perhaps less importance attached to his string quartets than his larger chamber works. Um, in a sense, romantic textures require more instruments. And the point about the string quartet, as I said in the first week, is that it's the minimum requirement for full four-part harmony. But on the other hand, it's a minimum and also um, a, a lean and raw sound, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. And so, so if composers want to luxuriate their string quartets, like Mozart did with his wonderful quintets, or Schubert did with his quintet, and of course Brahms did with quintets and sextets, you just add, a, other, an, add a, either one or two more instruments. If you start adding more than that, it becomes a little orchestra, doesn't it, really? But um, that's one of the reasons why the string quartet became, became less of a, a feature of Romanticism. Another, of course, was the Romantic's um, notion of the interest in progr programmatic, in other words, music and literature, music and painting, perhaps, but descriptive music. Yes, the string quartet's very much not a, not a genre that works for programmatic music, is it? You know, and and I, then you can say, well, what about um, Trojak's American Quartet? Well, you know, it's got a folkish um, American folk tune sort of um, uh, association, hasn't it? Uh, Smetner's From My Life String Quartet, where he actually uses a very high note, I think it's this high E on the violin, to actually um, portray his impending deafness, his tinnitus. Um, that's mildly programmatic. And Janacek's two wonderful quartets as well. And, of course, there, there's one other reason. We just don't have time, do we? Um, the other thing about the 19th century is the widening range of harmonic resources that were available. In other words, you know, when I was talking about Mozart and Haydn, I was saying that, you know, by... Actually, I know this is very reductionist, but they tend to use a very small number of harmonic possibilities. You know, basically one, four and five and variations on that. But of course, into the Romantic era, you have composers, uh, Chopin, Schumann, Wagner, Liszt, Brahms and so on, who are using a much richer harmonic palette using many more harmonies. And the upshot of that is that the large cohesion of large-scale sort of symphonic thought became much harder to achieve. In other words, it's very easy to achieve uh, cohesion using a simple harmonic structure, but when it gets very sort of obtuse, um, it becomes harder to make the music sound coherent. Yep. So, so, so abstract music becomes more difficult to write. And this chromatic, you know, um, uh, sort of dramatic style of composers like Liszt and Wagner and so on really does suit programmatic music, music which is about something, telling stories. Um, and by the time we reach the end of the 19th century, um, the resources of um, harmony and uh, harmonic expansion have become exhausted in many sorts of ways, haven't they? Because what happens eventually is that you have a breakdown of the tonal system. So instead of using, instead of using scales like this, this scale, chromatic scale, and other things called modes. This is the beginning of Debussy's string quartet.
If I play the tune in the violin, and then reduce it to a scale. Sorry. Okay, it doesn't sound like a normal scale that you're used to, does it? And that's because the second degree of the scale, so rather, rather the seventh degree of the scale, I should say, because I'm thinking about downwards, is flat, yeah? Instead of going... Which is um, uh, a characteristic, uh, not of a normal scale, but of a mode. Yes? Because the whole point, but the difference between tonal music, normal scales, diatonic scales, and modes, is the seventh degree of the scale. That's the crucial one. So... Because singers found in the 17th century, they didn't like doing this. So the piano's, the piano's singing along with me. I'm not quite sure why. It's a rather intriguing rattle that it's got. Anyway, never mind. Uh, they didn't like doing that because what do you want to do when you get here? What would you do? Think of yourself. Put yourself in the position. You sharpen it, don't you? You want to sharpen it. Yeah, and then you get this. Yeah. So in a sense, Debussy here is reversing to older models. Yes, of composition. You're going back to, you know, if you like, pre-Baroque music in, 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 in the sense of using a scale, which is a mode rather than... And then you'll notice another note. Definitely doesn't sound right. I think there's someone living in there. It's really, isn't it? uh, the, the, the note that doesn't sound right in terms of normal scalic function is this one. But if you listen to the bass line at the beginning... There it is in the bass line as well, okay? Now that, in the course of um, a scale of G minor, um, alters it so that the second degree, instead of doing this, does this. Which we call, does anyone know what that mode is called? And I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you a little hint. Brahms uses it in his fourth symphony, because he does this. He doesn't do this, which he should do. Yeah, he does this. There's another composer who had a great interest in the past. Yeah, it's called the Phrygian mode. Yeah, the Phrygian mode. So, and you can find if you want to know about about the modes, you can look it up. But also, if you've got a piano at home, if you play a C major scale on all the white notes, you will find a collection of modes um, presenting themselves to you. So, if you play a C major scale on D, in other words, all the white notes from D to D, you get the Dorian mode. And then you get some. Yeah, English folk song like Scarborough Fair. The Phrygian mode you can use to make mock Spanish music. Yeah, a bit of flamenco. Um, the Lydian mode is on F. And that, why does that sound? Which which degree of the scale? I'm uh, sorry to quiz you like this, but I know you like. I know you sort of like it. Which, which degree of the scale is changed? Yeah, instead of the fourth being like this, it's raised up. And then you get a sort of Eastern European flavour. Yeah, some music like Bartok, even Dvorak uses that. Does anyone know his symphonic variations? They start like this. And so on. Anyway, okay. So what Debussy is doing here is reordering. Um, He's reorganizing the harmonic palette, okay, uh, to say something new, really. He's realized that he's, you can't go back, you can't write music that sounds like you can't do this again. You 
can't go back to the classical model, can you? Obviously not. Um, romantic music had exhausted itself in, in chromaticism, yeah? So, in other words, the chromatic scale, once you've got Wagner doing, doing all that sort of thing. And there's a sort of um, interesting relationship between Debussy and Wagner in that he both loved him and hated him, yeah, in, in a very interesting way. Uh, um, but um, that wasn't going to get into it. So what Debussy does is to use modes and scales like the whole tone scale and the pentatonic scale yeah, to enrich his musical palette. And there's a wonderful piano prelude called Voile from book one. Voile, which in French means veils or sails. And it's, and it's made up entirely of the whole tone scale. And it gives this wonderful impression of floating. Everything's soaked in, and it, 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 it's never going to land anywhere because it's got no hierarchy. Yeah, it's got no heart because it, it can start and on, on, end on any note. And you can't say that about this. And then at the crucial, one of, another point later on, a crucial point in the, in the prelude, he uses this scale. Which is called the pentatonic scale, yeah? Which is easy because you, it's all the black notes on the piano. And the great thing about writing with the pentatonic scale is whatever you do will sound good. It really will. You just stick the pedal down and do this. could have been a Debussy masterpiece, but actually anyone, anyone, anyone can write music like that. So, but, but here's the thing, the thing, that's, the, the thing is about these new musical resources is that they're not, they don't have the same um, tension, harmonic tension that you have in earlier music. Yeah, so what he needs to do is to use different methods, a different methodology to keep your interest and also to build a larger sales structure. And what you notice about the music is that it sounds much more episodic. So instead of ideas sort of melting into each other, um, they sort of stop and start, and they, very, they, sound, they, they sound really very different from each other in one way. But the theme that he keeps coming back to is that. And then you'll hear it a bit later like this. Yeah. And the thing about Debussy's music is that he's a modernist but he writes music that you like to hear, doesn't he? Yeah? He uses exciting, adventurous harmonic structures. You know, chords, and, uh, chords of the seventh, for example, like these, like this passage. Yeah, they're, they're dissonant chords, but they just, he, he likes the sound of them, doesn't he? He likes the sound they make, and so do you, that's the point. It's not just him, it's, 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 it's this sensual uh, enjoyment of musical sonority. So let's, let's just listen to that beginning again. So, so it's not only um, the melody which is modal, but it's also harmonised in a completely new and original and exciting way. But the music does drive along. Um, this is Debussy's, um, well, one of his only completely abstract works, because if you think about his output, which is very largely piano music songs, uh, great opera called Pelias and Melisande, and one or two orchestral pieces. All the orchestral pieces have a title, don't they? La Mer, L'Après-Midi d'Enfant, Nocturne, they all have titles. All the piano pieces have titles, you know, whether it's the Preludes, um, the Lille Joyeuse, um, Sweet Bergamasque with uh, Le Clair de Lune, until the very end of his life when he wrote a set of Etudes and also three sonatas. 
for flute, viola and harp, for violin and piano, and for cello and piano, sort of reverting back to classical models. But this is 1893, the string quartet, and I play, I'm really, it's such a wonderful piece. Does everyone know it? Such a great piece, I think, uh, and one to really, really treasure. And also a, a different way, a new, a new musical language, of, a, a way of writing for the string quartet. The other thing about the string quartet, of course, which I mentioned, is this idea of um, a democratic dialogue, well, more than that, a conversation between four players. You know, and you don't get that in, this, in, in Debussy. It's very harmonically conceived, yeah, sort of top and bottom. Yeah, you hear harmony and melody. It's not, it's not, it's, it, what Debussy isn't is a contrapuntalist. He's not a polyphonic composer. You don't get lots of lines going along like that. You can hear that if you play the, if you play the parts that aren't the melody. Yeah, that's everything except the tune. So in other words, the second violin, viola and cello. And they're just harmonising the tune, aren't they? But they, they do it in a block sort of way. So there's not a, not a great sort of fluidity of conversation between the parts. But here's the, here's the beginning of the quartet again. The, um, the modality gives it a sort of sadness, which isn't quite well-determined sad. It's a sort of melancholy idea, but it's not, it's not tragic or anything, is it? It's got a sort of slight hint of melancholy. It's nothing more than that. And that's because, in a way, because, the, because it's modal, it doesn't drive on harmonically, yeah? It doesn't, it doesn't create harmonic tension within itself. And if you... This might surprise you, I suppose, in a way. The composer who this is very close to is Vaughan Williams, yeah? Yeah, a little bit, tiny, tiny bit later, but also, also who wrote his, wrote his first string quartet in G minor. And in fact, there's an, in the slow movement of this, there's a deeply Vaughan Williams-like passage. And you know, of course, that Vaughan Williams studied not with Debussy, but with Ravel. And then after that opening, there's a little, um, little episode, and the, and the music changes completely. You have the first, second, uh, sorry, second, third, second viola, second violin, viola, and cello playing constant semiquavers. And um, a tune which is swapped between the first violin and cello. And it's still, it's a, still a modal tune. Yeah, he's still avoiding, avoiding any, any hint of tonality. Then he repeats the um, opening, only slightly reharmonized. So it's instead of being harmonized like this, assertively, it's reharmonized like this. <laughs> Same notes in the melody, two falling two notes, one G minor, and then that funny flattened second degree of the scale. He could have done this. No, he couldn't. Well, he could have done that, but that would change it completely. But this time it's this. So the first chord is major. It's a little bit more gentle, isn't it? A little bit, a little bit more 
um, appeasing, as it were. And you'll notice as well that um, he doesn't tend to develop his idea, he just repeats them with a different harmony. So you heard that, this, the violin. And then the cello took over. Yeah, just slightly different harmonisation. He's not being Beethoven. He wrote a very abusive essay about Beethoven's pastoral symphony. You should read it. Yes, in, he's, he was quite a, uh, an acerbic um, writer on music. But it's not that he didn't admire Beethoven, but he's, try, he's, got, a, he's got this... He's, uh, this is, reminds me of doing my French course, of course, but this is, this is a French man trying to be a Frenchman. He doesn't want to be a German composer. You know, he wants to say things in a different way. Um, so, yeah, just this very nice, gentle um, reprise of the first idea. And, of course, in effect, this is a recapitulation. And you probably know enough about sonata form to know that recapitulations don't happen right at the beginning of the piece, do they? Yeah, you're meant to wait, OK? But so the recapitulation is really a reharmonization. Okay, and then, okay, that's, so in a way he's done A, B, and then he's going to do C. But C is really like um, B. <laughs> yes, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, so B was, um, had these um, semiquavers in the, in the violins, and this time, the, the, instead of semiquavers, we have triplet in the viola and cello, and, an, and a different tune in the first violin and viola. Sorry, second violin and cello have the triplets, uh, first violin and viola have the theme. And it's another episode, yeah? So, not a development, just another, just another sort of view of the piece. And by using harmonies like this, because it, it sounds very comfortable, doesn't it, when he's going along here. You know, and then suddenly it becomes a bit more acerbic. So he's generating tension by increasing the dissonance. And in terms of um, sonata form, what do we need to have? Yes. In, eventually, definitely, yes. What haven't we had? Um, yes, all those things are right. <laughs> There's what, something we would expect even more. A second tune, yeah, a second subject, a second theme, yeah, a contrasting theme. And if you're going to write a piece called String Quartet, then the listener is going to have an expectation about how the piece will be structured, aren't they? Yeah, they're not then they, they, they will expect a certain formality, as it were. And one of those things is to have a second subject, yep, so a second theme. Um, and here it is. But it's introduced, you'll notice, by the cello playing... <laughs> <laughs> 
Bum, bum, by, by, play, Charlie playing. Uh, well, no, sorry, I should take the score from memory. Yes, this. So you eventually find out, I mean, this is a slightly long-term procedure, that this tune uh, that you have at the beginning, yum, bum, 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 blah, 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 is like a motto theme, yeah, which keeps recurring, not just throughout the movement, but throughout the piece. So here's another, here's another gesture towards large-scale cohesion. Yeah, so you have something that you keep recognising is coming back. But each time you hear it, it's slightly different. Now, this is an idea that Franz Liszt had used a lot in his piano sonata, for example. So he has a theme and he keeps, he keeps changing it. He, in, in the piano sonata, it's this. And then it comes back. Yeah, all sorts of different ways. And then it becomes a fugue. And so on. Um, and then, uh, but, but Debussy is more interested in his, uh, his senior figure and teacher, César Franck. Yeah, who was head of the Paris Conservatoire, who was in fact the most, one of the most famous Belgian composers, or Belgians of any kind, isn't he? I mean, you know, and everyone thinks he's French, which is incredibly unfair. Uh, great organist, but also a great a sort of Wagnerite as well, not French composer in the way that Debussy was, but his idea as well in the, his violin sonata. You know this wonderful piece? That's, that theme keeps coming back all sorts of ways throughout the piece, yeah, into the last movement as well. Always slightly transformed. And so Debussy is using Franck as a model. And also, says a Franck string quartet, which I won't talk about today, so, but it's a piece worth hearing. I think I might have mentioned it in my little essay that I sent out. It's a really great piece. It's rather orchestral, rather enormous. And one of the problems is that the four instruments play almost all the time without stopping. You can't even turn the pages. It's, you know, it's, it's actually it's seriously a problem to play. But it does have a cyclical uh, form where he keeps re, 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 the ideas keep recurring. Anyway, so just before you hear um, this lovely, another plangent theme, a second theme, you hear the cello announcing the main theme of the movement. the main theme as well again There's the main theme again, yeah, the motto theme at the opening. Or, again, not a, not a... And you can hear, um, you know, it's not a recapitulation, obviously, at this point in the music. It's just a, a reminder of the theme, but it's very different from the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, listen to that. So what he's doing is using here, he's using chords, triads, and just putting them next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. They're not functioning as functional harmony, but they sound good, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. You get that in, in the sort of Vaughan Williams as well, don't you? Those sort of triadic. 
sort of sound. Yeah, it's very familiar. Yeah, so a sort of entente cordiale is coming along there, isn't it, between, between the two. Um, and then, okay, well, I know we're going to run out of time uh, with this piece, but um, just, just uh, here's, this is into the recapitulation. Um, four minutes and 40 seconds. This is the real recapitulation. Having heard this uh, tune lots of times, listen to how he prepares it. He's aping, is that the right word? Sort of imitating the idea of a dominant preparation, yeah? Where before the recapitulation you come, comes, you do this. Yeah, you hear the dominant chord before you get the recapitulation because it sets it up nicely. And we're in the key of G minor. And what he does is to give you a very long passage with a D at the bottom, but he, he, he really does um, he, de he destroys its sense of certainty by doing this. Can you hear that interval? Yeah, it's called a tritone or an augmented fourth. So instead of feeling certain about it, you feel uncertain. Because it's rather spooky and mysterious. Yeah. Eventually it does reach a little point of settlement, but not very much. back home. Can I just wind you back to the second theme, which was this. In the recapitulation, it doesn't, he doesn't present it like that. He completely rethinks the scoring of it. So the first violin and cello have these triplets, groups of threes that they play, that play like this. Going to be quite hard on the piano. And he gives the tune to the second violin, and it sounds just wonderful. And when you hear that ending, 
you don't think, oh, I'm back home in G minor because there's been no... Yeah, there's no chord to tell you that. It just, it's, just, it's just this. Um, purely modal, right the way down. It's, it, he drives, I mean, no, no one can accuse him of being um, sort of static in the way that the music moves. It's got a real dramatic thrust to it, doesn't it? And the second movement, um, one, of the most, one of the most ear-catching uh, moments in the whole string quartet repertoire, I would say, because he starts off with the first, and second, first violin and the cello, and the cello plays across the strings. He plays a four-note pizzicato like this. Top it with the violin, it sounds like this together. It's obviously a sonority not quite so conducive on the piano. And then the viola, sorry, F sharp. Where have you heard that before? Okay, it's the opening motif. Yeah, so he's using that theme and it becomes pizzicato, viola. And then he turns the viola part into a, what we call a, a, an ostinato, which simply means obstinate. Ostinato, repeating. It gives and he um, gives um, a new tune to the violin. And you'll notice as well, now that you're very educated in the world of modes, the Phrygian mode, yeah, tune. It's a modal tune. All, all, you're say, all I'm saying, really, is that this is not the same musical language, certainly not, obviously, of Haydn and Mozart, but not even of Brahms and Wagner. It's a new way of looking at music. Yeah, this, and it became... Part, I mean, it's partly... Um, it's sort of um, mixed in, in a way, isn't it? Because it, folk music, of course, has these characteristics. So composers like Bartok became very interested in modal music. So did Vaughan Williams. Um, and with Vaughan Williams, it has a double-edged... Uh, purpose really, doesn't it? Because it both suggests Elizabethan church music, which is modal, and it also suggests English folk music, which is modal, like all other folk music. But the texture of this is really fantastic, um, uh, with the pizz especially the way that you, you, it's not all pizzicato, everyone's pizzicato except the viola. Notice now the viola's lost his part and he's had to give it over to the first violin. And you might say that when you listen to music like that, it doesn't um, transform itself at all, it doesn't change, does it? Not it, it, in terms of it, it, it's, you've got the same thing going on at the beginning as at the, where I've just stopped. In other words, it's full of repeating, little repeating patterns which build up and then stop. 
and then they change. And when they change, it changes very radically. Actually, from the pizzicato, everyone's playing arco. And instead of, um, it's all in 6-8, uh, yup, up, 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 the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, that continues. The key changes and the violin, uh, sorry, the cello, viola, have a lovely um, semi-quaver pattern. And then the first violin has a tune. Quizzes, where have you heard that before? Yeah, it's the main theme, but it's strung out in a completely different sort of way. And so on, more, all what wonderful. And then you think it's completely different, but it's not, is it? Because underneath the pizzicato's return. And then another intriguing moment, just a little bit later. Um, back to the pizzicato, but the time has changed from being in six eight, in other words, two lots of three in a bar, one, two, three, four, five, six, to, to 15 eight, which is five lots of three. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. It's not very really effective, is it? One, two, three, da, 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 dee, da, da, dee, da, da, dee, da, da. It's actually three plus two, yeah? So it's like nine, eight, and six, eight put together, um, which is here. Coming up, coming up. It's almost a cinematic technique. What you just—that just that is a wonderful sound, isn't it? That really pizzicato um, um, on top, and it's really extraordinary alternating between pizzicato and arco. It's almost like um, a shot in a film, and you just see that sound. That you see that shot and moves on to something else. And it's like this with Debussy. It's not Germanically developmental, is it? New idea. You haven't heard it before. Doesn't come from anywhere. We can recognise the context but it sounds like a completely different sound so there's a great interest in sonority for its own sake and the problem with the string quartet is it's not very good at that is it it is with all the hugest respect to it and what a string instrument can do compared with the orchestral sonorities that you can get the difference with percussion harps wind flute clarinet bassoon and so on the string quartet has its limitations doesn't it you know in other words it demands a certain response from the composer which the composer is then unwilling to give because he wanted to move on other, to other things. And that's why Debussy and Ravel only wrote one string quartet. One of the reasons, anyway. So, yeah, it's just that, that, little, that little... 
What's that? Amazing. And then... One of Debussy's other um, big influences, I mean, he was trying to, what he wanted to do was to avoid being influenced by Bach and Beethoven, if you see what I mean. You know, he just, he didn't, he didn't just dislike them, he just wanted to move in a different direction. And uh, so another source of influence for him was the Russian school. And I think this tune, this wonderful tune that you hear, just very near the beginning, this is the beginning of the slow movement. I'll try and avoid the beginning, only, only for to save time. But um, it, it, I always think of Boronin, I don't know what you think. It's, it's Debussy being, having, writing a sort of genuinely romantic theme. Yeah, it feels like a romantic piece. Do you think Borodin? I, it makes me think of. Um, it's got that sort of, it really is, isn't it? And also, interestingly enough, it's not modal. Yeah, it's just a purely tonal theme. He's just using, you know, normal, normal harmonic procedures. A composer who I'd never accuse of sentimentality, just tiny bit, has has a little bit an edge of it there, doesn't he? Uh, and, this to comp and as if to compensate for this, he becomes wonderfully modal. It's a wonderful moment, the, the quartet stop and the viola takes over, solo viola. This, if, I guarantee, if you played this to someone, they would say this is by Ralph Vaughan Williams, without any question. Um, and then, and it's certainly modal, changes, changes the key signature. Sorry. And, so, and then come the these very still chords coming around it. Oh, sorry, gone a bit too far. No. I'll listen to the end of the... The, the sentimental bit.
Sorry, it's, it's a lovely theme, isn't it? Starting with the viola and working down through the cello. It's funny, isn't it? Because Debussy's, Debussy's music is so um, varied in terms of its language. You know, you can be, you can be doing this. It's an impressionistic, watery music. Or we can be doing this. different composers, wouldn't you? Or we can be being Spanish, you know, you know, he gets Spanish language or whatever. He, he can sort of, um, he's like a musical chameleon, really. He just sort of appears in lots of different, different guises. Um, just at the beginning of the last movement, he sort of, it's, the, the last movement uses all themes from the previous movements. Yeah, he re sort of recycles the theme. And he even has a little fugue. The Debussy is completely at odds with the idea of writing fugues, generally, but he, he's writing a string quartet. He's got to do the right thing. But just before he writes just this fugato theme, there's a wonderful passage. I'll just play it on the piano, because the chords are so delicious. This is so Debussyan. Sorry, I get the right chords. And what he does is put chords that need these, all these, all, each, each of those chords demands a resolution, really. And he says, no, I don't care. I'm not going to do that. Why not put them next to each other? He did cause a lot of shock and horror at the French, um, that hit the bastion of French imperialism, musical imperialism, the Paris Conservatoire, because they said, um, you can't do that. You know, and strangely enough, for a country which is, you know, some, in some ways seen as very sort of progressive, the um, musical establishment at that time was very the opposite. Yeah, it said you cannot, you've got to do the right thing with harmony. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's illegal basically harmonically, <laughs> because each each chord has its own necessity to need to resolve. So he said, no, no, while while okay, but doesn't it sound good next to that one, which also needs to resolve. Then it goes on to the next, the next thing, which is probably uh, somewhere around here. Sounds better on the string quartet, doesn't it? Here comes the fugue. And so on, and so on. And 
And then finally, um, five minutes, 40 seconds. Big cut coming up, I'm sorry. Five minutes and 40 seconds. This happens, and you'll know what this is because I've primed you. So if you know the piece, you might not know it well enough yet, but the tunes that you're hearing have all been heard before. They're just being recycled and sort of transformed into a sort of a, a, a propulsive coda. He's driving towards the end, isn't he? to do. So there's Debussy. Right, I'm going to land you, um, I'm going to soften you um, up for something, okay? You'll see why I'm doing it. There's the beginning, right. This is nine minutes into a piece um, that might surprise you when it was written. And so on. Um, it, provide, it presents great challenges for the players, as you can hear, and also for the listener, doesn't it? You might be surprised that it's Beethoven's gruesome fugue. <laughs> if you know the piece, you won't be surprised by its sheer violence. And it, 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 it's not music that you would think of as being from that era, would you? It, it has 
tendencies to be sound so strained and difficult that it sounds like modern music. So, so here's some modern music. Okay. Um, so it's, it, it's, it, it's not necessarily historical period, which gives you the clue as to whether the music sounds easy on the ear or not. And there's no question that um, the, my last composer, Bella Bartok, has provided us with the greatest series of string quartets of the 20th century, without any question. Six quartets, which are in every quartet's repertoire. And you can tell what, which pieces are best because it's the ones that are played most. And with one exception, people don't play enough Haydn. Okay, because he's, we know, you know what I think about Haydn, don't you? Yes, there's, everyone else is second best uh, in terms of the string quartet, in some ways. Yeah, because it's inexhaustibly wonderful, that series of 45 string quartets. Um, but anyway, here we are. But now, Bartok, um, I remember the first time I heard um, something on the radio um, that was by Bartok. It was a violin sonata, one of the violin sonatas. And I, I was very young, I don't know, maybe just early teenager, whatever, um, and I thought it was disgusting. I didn't understand how anyone could write music which sounded like that. Um, uh, and um, it, because it's slightly tricky to hear at first time, sometimes a bit unyieldingly dissonant, but it really yields its rewards, great rewards. Now, the thing about Bartok is that um, he was a great collector of folk songs. Um, he collected by walking around um, his own country and by going to Bulgaria, I think he even travelled to North Africa, um, uh, Romania, uh, and um, you know some of them are well known, like uh, yeah, and he transcribes them and he wrote lots of um, pieces called a piece called for children, which are full of little Hungarian and. Uh, Romanian folk songs, um, but they, it, it wasn't really that he was using the folk songs directly in his music, although he does in those pieces. Uh, it's really that the spirit of folk music imbibed itself into his style. Yeah, he thought of himself as being possessed by this music. That that that, that it was the folk music which was driving him along. Now, um, almost all the string quartets have some element of, of folk music in them. Um, the fifth quartet is it's particularly noticeable because we have a, a sort of hurdy-gurdy effect. Um, you know, and, and that's absolutely a, a bit of folk music taken from the ground, as it were. Um, but the quartet I'm going to look at, mainly because it's so short, is the third string quartet, which only lasts for about 13 minutes. But it's very, very dense. It's full of musical happenings. And I thought it would be an interesting um, contrast to Debussy because here's a composer um, who is thinking absolutely in a linear fashion. You know, Debussy's like this, yeah, blocks and blocks put together, yeah. You might even shift them around a little bit sometimes, you know, but it's music which is conceived almost vertically, whereas Bartok's music is conceived, like Beethoven's, very, very horizontally. Yeah, it's moving in that direction. And you'll notice immediately when you hear it how the, um, uh, there's no sort of sense of that th you know, the instruments are harmonising with a first violin or that the viola is being accompanied. There's, it's a, it's a, a polyphonic conversation, getting back really to uh, classical models in some sort of ways. Now, um, the third quartet um, has a sort of folk tune which becomes apparent um, after... Three minutes and 15 seconds. So it's actually, the, 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 here's a, the, there was lots, lots of things to say about Bartok. One of the other uh, things to note about the string quartets is the idea that he very rarely writes four straightforward movements. And in fact, this, this quartet is really in a continuous movement. And it, in fact, it's a slow, fast, slow, fast model. Yeah. Where the slow, the second slow section is a recapitulation of the first slow section, and the last 
far section is a recapitulation of the second far section, um, but not in an obvious way. Yeah, not obvious. <laughs> uh, and as, as you will probably find it uh, when you first hear it, it sounds quite, it's quite tough to the ear. Um, I'll just play you, just play at three minutes and 15 seconds, you have something which is quite noticeably recognisable as a sort of folk tune. It doesn't matter if it is a folk tune or not. It's not recognised as something that has a name or anything, um, but it sounds very much like a folk tune. So it's three minutes of this. Here we are. could sing it in Hungarian. Yeah. You know, it could even be hard. Could harmonise it like that. But he doesn't, obviously. <laughs> he doesn't. He puts some wrong notes in, doesn't he? Yeah, he puts the wrong note harmony around it. Um, but um, when, you, when you know this piece quite well, you've heard it a few times, you'll recognise that at the very beginning of the piece, that tune is, is worked out in lots of different ways, and it only becomes clear after three minutes and 15 seconds. That's where it's arrived at. But what, 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 so one of the ideas that Bartok has in his music, which is very much like Haydn and Mozart and Beethoven, particularly Haydn and Beethoven, is sort of self-consciously showing the working process of his composition. And the quartet, of course, is an ideal medium to do it. Not too many instruments. You can hear everything that's going on. Yeah? And abstract. Yeah? He doesn't have any of Debussy's... He certainly had some influence from Debussy, but he doesn't have Debussy's tendencies to be programmatic, descriptive. You know, Debussy trying to bring together painting, impressionistic painting, symbolism, um, literature, and all those things. Bartok's not interested in that. This is very, very abstract music. So the beginning of the quartet... Sounds like this, and you have, it's like a drone, really. Imagine a hurdy-gurdy that's gone badly out of tune. Yeah, you have that chord, and then, like a sort of wailing lament in the first violin at the beginning, but then, the second, in the second line, you hear what becomes an intimation of the folk tune that you've just heard. If you can try and pin your ears on this theme, those three notes, yeah, that's 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 always a recognition that he's trying to work out something with that theme, which eventually becomes clear as the folk tune. And as you sorry, I interrupted. Very rude of me, but um, uh, so I apologise to the Emerson String Quartet, but. Um, you also hear in the other parts the same sort of texture, don't you? It's very, con it's very contrapuntal, polyphonic, imitative. The parts of the instruments are always imitating each other. And it has an incredible sort of, gives it, it gives it to me a great sort of um, compelling, driving forward force 
Yeah, and it's not atonal music, but it's not tonal either. You might call it polytonal. Lots of keys at once, sometimes no keys. Yeah, but he's not deliberately writing music which is atonal. That was another, another person. That's sort of signifying end of section. Here's the new section, which is in effect what you might call a second subject. And incidentally, the violins, the violins, first and second violins, uh, are playing uh, sul ponticello, which means they play with their bows on the bridge, which gives it that spooky theme. Do you remember where you heard that before? Beethoven, Opus 131. The way he writes for the strings there, I mean, he's writing chords of, you know, um, three instruments, uh, four instruments playing three or four note chords all together, which makes um, six, nine, twelve, thirteen note chords, yeah? It's like an orchestral sound, isn't it? And of course it sounds quite raw, doesn't it? But you can either say, I don't like it, or you can say, actually, it's really exciting. And I, I prefer if you say the second, <laughs> of course. And eventually we get towards the, the folk tune, which you've heard, which was this. And you're familiar with that. And then that, that sort of, that section sort of burns itself out. It just dissolves. He, he's, it's almost as though he's worked out all the material he can. And then that trill in the second violin announces the second part, which is allegro. And we hear the main theme in the cello, played pizzicato, yeah, which will sound, it sounds really quite good. Um, so he plays chords of tenth apart, which is very effective on a cello, as you will hear.
And you can hear that that if that was if that was played, da, 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 de, um, yes. That sounds reasonably folkish, doesn't it? Um, very often, um, Bartok. One is probably a. Um, I don't know anything about the. I don't really speak Hungarian at all. I don't know anything about Hungarian language. Um, but it, uh, the folk music of the language, the folk music must somehow reflect the language. Uh, one of the things about um, Hungarian apparently is that you don't say "badam," you always say "badam." Yeah, and you hear that again and again with Bartok. Da 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 da. -da. Just thinking of the passage of the Concerto for Orchestra. So the accent comes on the strong beat rather than with an upbeat. Bum bum. Lucy's a bit more polite, isn't it, I think? Um, but, um, uh, and the other thing is the shape, the, 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 you often have two phrases which have the same rhythmical pattern. It's the same sort of pattern repeated over and over again. Okay, and then, and then when the first violin comes in, he plays a tune. has a folk going back to Debussy it's a, it's, it's a sort of it's like a scale if you play a C major scale on B it's like that yeah it's actually a fake mode it's called the Locrian mode it doesn't really exist yeah but it's it's but that's if it would, would if it was a mode, it would put it. If it wasn't a mode, it would make it in the key of D flat major. But it's not at all. And here's the other thing: very Bartokian Hungarian folk music. Irregular time signatures: five, da da dee, da da, three, one two three, one two three four five, one two three four five, one two three four one, one da ba Very exciting. Remember that theme as well. make your move it, mu music move on. You don't have keys anymore, you don't have tonal areas that you can go to, you know, development's going to be in G minor or second subjects in the dominant, doesn't work like that anymore. The theme um, uh, is often subject to variation. So you keep your music moving by using the theme, but varying it in lots of different ways. So like a continuous process of variation, which again is a technique that Beethoven used. You know, and Bartok and Beethoven are closer than you think. And especially when you hear something that sounds like Bartok in the Brooks of Fugue, <laughs> you know. Um, so this passage that you're just about to hear is just a, a, a little variation um, of da 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 dee da 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 dee da 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 You can hear it, can't you? The same sort of melodic idea. Same. That's accompaniment to a cello theme, which is another um, sort of variation of that, which is this. 
Yeah, that's a very Hungarian thing. Da da dee da 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 dee da 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 da. Same rhythm twice. One goes up, one goes down. The other thing, um, just to, I know this is a very tenuous link, but Debussy also used the whole tone scale. Right, and now that idea is subject to a canon. Listen to the first and second violins. Okay, they chase each other around playing that little theme. Um, and then it occurs between the cello and the viola. And then it occurs in inversion between the first and second violins and between the cellos. So one's going up, one's going down. These are all devices which, you know, they sound like, is he being clever, clever? No, it's a way of making the music work intellectually, structurally. Yeah? Yeah, he's not just making it up. Yeah, it's not... It's not freely, you know, he's very, very tightly worked out so that the music sounds logical. And what it is, it's just, you know, I mean, you might, some people find it immediately a little bit, oh my God, you know, it's a bit like eating olives for the first time, isn't it? You know what I mean? It is, isn't it? I didn't, I mean, who like, how many eight-year-old children like eating olives? I mean, there are some exceptional, aren't they? You know, or chilies or whatever, you know, these blue cheese, Roquefort or Stilton, you know, these are, it, it can be an acquired taste, can't it? And you think, why do I like that taste? But you do, don't you? you know, so it's maybe, you know, if you're finding Bartok a little bit too much, just try a bit harder. <laughs> Can you hear that? They're sort of chasing each other. Another stringy effect, does anyone know what that is? Col with the wood, collegno, collegno, yeah, yeah, where you turn the bow the other way up and actually use the bow as a percussion instrument, really, percussion, like a bit like a beater for a percussionist, yeah. String players don't always like doing it, but he makes them. And eventually, um, eventually, um, three minutes and seven seconds, guess what? A fugue. <laughs> On the fingerboard again, Ponticello. And then just about, you're about to get the recapitulation. Listen to the cello. Can 
you reckon like da da dee da dee da dee da 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 da? That's the tune you heard at the beginning. You know, so it's all there. This is the recapitulation of the first part, but it doesn't sound like the first part, um, it, it not recognisably, except that it's slow, yeah? <coughs> so you don't hear that, you don't hear very clearly the folk song, but the atmosphere of the beginning is present. And then finally, cut, yeah, no time. Um, so we've had A, B, repeat of A, and now we have repeat of B, very compressed, very quick, um, using the theme. But instead of, instead of it being in a recognizable sort of dance-like way, it's strung out into semiquaver. It runs through the instruments in a very sort of frantic way. By the way, he's very fond of glissandi. Have you noticed? Really very strange effect, isn't it? Ponticello again.
And then he's going to do something amazing here. He plays the, plays the, um, the theme from the first movie. Over and over again. And the, I can't do this on the piano, but the cello uh, and viola glissando downwards in chords. This extraordinary effect. And that journey from roughly 1740, when the first Haydn Quartet, 1750 maybe, 1927, that's not 200 years, is it? Extraordinary, isn't it? Um, and um, a form, you know, which has, um, continues to fascinate people. And the, remember, the point about string quartets is you don't have to go and hear them. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's the people that play them that matter, isn't it? It's a conversation between the players, and you eavesdrop. Yeah, that's the, that's the idea, I think. Um, uh, and you know, I, I don't know. I know. I know quite a lot of people that play um, amateur players. They get together, play string quartets. Nice idea, isn't it? It's a great, great thought. It has a, but probably not Bartok three. Probably not Bartok. There's a certain range, you know. When when you get to Beethoven, it starts to get tricky, doesn't it? But uh, most of the Haydn quartets are within the range. But Mozart and Haydn, they within the range of amateur players to play. Any 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 questions? I mean, there's too. I, mean, I just apologise for being so, um, you know. Missing so much, I suppose, you have to say, really, but it's necessity, isn't it? Well, I've got, I've got one question, but first of all, I would like to say, on behalf of all of us, oh. a bunch of thanks. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Thank you.